As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show European Edition. Today, big trouble at Lille Longs, messy sub-trubs, Bayern's blowout, the Borham, where now Falcao, and Erling Haaland with one of the most amazing balls this side of Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend. All of that and so much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, listener. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Crikey, by now we're up to Tuesday, the 21st of September. Well, we're actually recording this on the, the 20th, you know, podcast production reasons. But uh, I'm delighted to say we got back together the original high-tension, high-maintenance quartet of Horncastle, Honigstein, Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Hola. Guten Tag. Hello, guys. Hello. Nice. All right. Honestly, listener, you have no idea just how much work it is. These, these, the simmering tension between these four of who gets to go first and all that stuff. But I, I think it's worth it. Uh, anyway, gr- great to have you back, Rafa. Did you have a good trip to Germany last week? It was a yeah, it was a good trip, James. Thank you. Um, nice, beautiful weather. We've had a couple of goals shows since then, and, and, and all sorts of exciting storylines from those. But so much has happened over the weekend. So, without any further ado. Why don't we lead off with some moments of the weekend with Paddy Para Alvaro? Well, it has to be the Tiger. Radamel Falcao, he's back. He's back in La Liga Rawr. and he scored the goal for Rayo Vallecano after 10 minutes on the pitch. Uh, it was a really nice goal, the third one of Rayo. And, uh, you know, it had been eight years uh, without having Falcao celebrating a goal in Spanish soil, or at least for the La Liga club. And it was very nice to see him scoring. A remarkable story, that, uh, which you'll tell us, I hope, a lot more about later on. Uh, speaking of exciting South American imports to League 1, Jules, what's your moment of the weekend? Well, it has to be Leo Messi being subbed off by Mauricio Pochettino at the 75th minute of the, the big game between PSG and, and Lyon. Uh, when the score was 1-1 and Leo Messi clearly not happy at all. Uh, we will explain on the show what made Pochettino make that sub, that substitution, while Leo was not happy. But 
yeah, as home debut comes, this maybe was not the greatest. But listen, he's still adapting. Okay. James. It's got to be the special run coming to an end um, because after six straight wins for Jose Mourinho and Roma, they lost against Verona. And I think my moment of the weekend is Verona's winning goal. Uh, what mm. a special goal from Faraoni. Neutralizzata Rui Patricio e poi il gol. Adesso di Faraoni con una sventola dalla distanza finisce sotto l'incrocio dei pali. Faraoni un destro che sorprende Rui Patricio il pallone from Bracciano um, which is not too far outside of Rome. Uh, yeah, picks it up with his left, volleys it with his right, top corner, nothing that Rui Patricio could do. A goal worthy of winning any match. What a game that was. And Raphael Honigstein. James, I think it has to be Erling Haaland's second goal for Borussia Dortmund. Erling Haaland, Heber. Ins Tor! Ins Tor! Der geht rein! Der geht rein von Erling Haaland! Ein traumhaftes Glückstor! An unbelievable individual effort. Ball over the top. He's stretching for it and he lifts it in full flight over the keeper from a very difficult angle. Zlatanesque is how mm. people in Germany have described it, but with, uh, without the ponytail. I don't know about Zlatanesque because, I mean, for me, this goal belongs in that very, very special category of things you've just never seen before. It is an extraordinary goal, and I look forward to your attempts to describe it more, more fully later on, and also the thought process that was going through the big man's head. But so much for us to be discussing... Uh, let's start with, I don't care what UEFA say, number one league for me, League 1. <laughs> the Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Liga 1, Jules. That's why they call it 1. Number one. Yeah, you've got important news. Let's let's hear the important news. I thought it should come from you, considering okay. you were so quick and happy to remind the whole world that Portugal had gone over France in the UEFA coefficient. I was happy um, for Portuguese rankings. listeners. Yeah. yeah. But as yeah. a result of, of, of last uh, midweek's uh, Champions League and Europa League action, uh, the... A French coefficient has actually improved to the point in which they are back in the top five. They are no longer the sixth best Get league in, in Europe. They are now the fifth best league in Europe. Hurrah! <laughs> exactly. Thank you. But I'm Thank a bit confused because it, it didn't seem that amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm, the thing that grabbed the attention maybe was PSG having that 1-1 draw at Bruges. Mm. Mm. But then uh, Monaco did well and won. Lyon won away at Rangers and mm. no French club lost. And... Uh, Portuguese club, on the other hand, didn't have a very good week either. So no. that's what happens. But there's obviously a very okay. long way to go. But we, we're closing in on one, two, three and four. So, you know, I'm happy. Excellent. Excellent. Um, listen, I mentioned there the, the, the Bruges, the 1-1. It'd be interesting to hear a bit more about how the reaction's been following that. Because Sunday night, Paris Saint-Germain had another tough game, but this time against Lyon. And a matter of days after their unhappy trip to Belgium... Uh, this one also saw Pochettino starting with Messi, Mbappe and Neymar and backing them up with a bit of Di Maria as well. But it also didn't go exactly the plan. Leon actually taking the lead. And, and then what happened? Yeah, I mean, he changed the formation. He played 4-3-3 against Bruges. Uh, and as you said, Tim was too unbalanced, didn't really work out for them. He went for 4-2-3-1 formation with Messi central and not 
out wide and Di Maria playing on the right, Neymar on the left, and Mbappe and then Herrera and Gay being the um, the guy to do all the running pretty much. And it worked a little bit better. For example, the, the conceded expected goals is much lower against Lyon than it was against Bruges, uh, 0.9 against 1.3. In terms of expected goals, it's quite similar, although they, they played better with the ball. Defensive transition is still a bit difficult because once they press or counter-press, if, if they don't get the ball back quickly or if they don't recover it quite high on the pitch, then they, they're quite heavily exposed. And Lyon, to, to be fair to them, could have scored easily another goal, if not two. PSG could have scored more as well. But it was, it was again, the thin line between the right balance and being completely unbalanced and, and playing well and not playing well. And they got lucky to come back in the game with a penalty that could have easily not been given or that VAR could have overturned. They kept it. Very, very sceptical about it from Neymar. And then Mario Cardi, of all people, who got completely slaughtered for his appearance against Bruges where he hardly did anything, to this one where he came on for 10 minutes, touched the ball three times, one of them being the winning goal, a, a great header too on a Kylian Mbappé cross. So in the end, they won. It was slightly better, I would say, in terms of the team performance, the collective unity and strength, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I'm not even sure if this is even the right formation. I still believe that a back three could be better for them. And of course, on top of that, there was the uh, Messi-Pochettino little incident. Right. Well, the good thing, I guess, about their dominance in Liga, and this maintains their 100% record in the French top flight, is that there's room for Pochettino to to experiment a little bit, to try out different formations and still kind of get away with things. But 15 minutes to go, he decides to haul off Leo Messi, and that didn't go too well. Yeah, Messi not happy at all, and you, you saw it on his face, and you saw it when he didn't really high-five Poch, and they had a few words... It seems, certainly what the club is saying is that Messi had a little thigh niggle. It's not an injury, but... And Poch said to him, I don't want to take any risk you coming off. And Messi said, I, I, I felt fine to continue. And I think that's where, that's where the issue was. Messi wanted to keep playing despite the little problem he had on his thigh. And Poch said, we can't take any risk. They've got another league game in midweek. So not like mm. a domestic cup, like proper league and game. Um, and then, of course, you play again next weekend and then there's the Champions League and then there will be the international break soon after where you're going to play three games. So I think Poch wanted to, to preserve him a little bit and Messi didn't like coming off. He had a really good first half where he could easily have scored a hat-trick. Second half was already a bit more difficult. So, I don't know. In the end, he won the game and there won't be any hard feelings between the day. They love each other. It's just that you could tell Messi was not happy to come off thing is that Messi was playing really well, in my opinion, and he hit the post uh, with the free kick. He missed an easy mm. chance as well. Um, and probably he was very disappointed as well uh, with himself for being replaced. But this is not the first time that Messi reacts when he gets replaced. And uh, from my experience watching Barcelona, um, I will say that this is a, a new scenario for Messi. Because at Barcelona, he got an almighty power. Uh, over there, uh, he was able to defy anyone and win. I mean, sometimes he didn't even have to defy anybody. The club just pleased him because they were hypersensitive about Messi. And uh, Messi could misbehave as well. I mean, it is very well known uh, as well that uh, Lionel Messi was sometimes being a slightly petulant with Tata Martino. And Martino had to tell him, Leo, I know that you can get me the sack tomorrow but you won't have to prove it to me every day. Uh, so I think that uh, here on PSG, Messi is finding a new scenario. I mean, at Barcelona, he got all the power, but Messi signed for PSG in August. He's been there only for a month, and he has to understand how far his power can get him, you know? 
But it won't it won't be subbed off probably ever again unless there's an injury. <laughs> I think I think this was the combination of that little thigh problem that he had plus the fact that he's only starting two games. And I think considering he played with Argentina two games and five minutes, it's, I, I just think they thought, listen, if he's played already, but he's not really fully fit or certainly fully match fit, if we take that risk, God knows what can happen. If he's out for two months after that, we will, you know, this is not good. So I think that's where it was. But to go back to Alvaro's point, which I think is a really good point, very soon, he's going to do whatever he wants at that club anyway. This is, the, this is it's what happens. This is Messi. So I think this is probably the first and last time that we see him, unless there's an injury again, taking off so early, like uh, before the end of the game. Will he, will he park his car across the entrance to the, the car park, perhaps change the salad bar in the uh, player's cafeteria as some other... I think he PSG could potentially... Change the Wi-Fi password. But he's still being driven everywhere. Is he? So... Yeah. Unless he tells the driver, hey, go and park in front of the gate or on Mauricio Pochettino's uh, car right. park space, I think we're safe on that, on that point. It is possible to drop him anyway. Valverde they drop him, uh, but after having conversations with him about it, so it is still possible, you know. Mm. Jules, the, um, the reaction to the 1-1 draw with Bruges and the, 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 the problems that that brought to light, to what extent has this result settled the doubts or, or is it just kind of exacerbated them? No, I think it's neither. There's a bit of improvement, but there's still a lot of fragility and vulnerability when they lose the ball and when the other team attack. And we saw a wonderful performance by Lucas Paqueta, who, who not just scored the goal, but was incredible from start to finish in a role and a position where I think a lot of team could gain inspiration from to cause problems to this PSG team uh, in that sort of free number 10 role between the lines that was really difficult for PSG to defend on because of the high press that they are forcing to do because that's the only time when that front three will defend. So it's, it's complicated. He will have to find, Pochettino that is, will have to find the right formula. It will take a bit of time. And, and also I think match fitness, especially for Messi and Neymar. Neymar looked sharp more than Messi, I thought, on, on the duration of the game. Uh, but I think eventually he will hopefully find the right formula. It's just that we can still see the issues there. And I think Pochettino does as well and the players too. It's just about if everybody put it in the same direction, they will fix them. If they don't, and if you What see if Icardi keeps Mbappe, scoring, Jules? I mean, it just shows they didn't need him after all. You know, it's going to be Icardi, Neymar, Mbappe. That's the one that's going to win the Champions League, isn't it? Last night going to bed, I was thinking, can you actually play Di Maria, Messi, Neymar, Mbappé and Icardi together somehow? And I'm not sure. But he might try one day. You know, you're right, that might be the answer. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pick a league to do it in, it, I mean, no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> oh, it come on. Fifth best sure. league. It wouldn't be fifth league. Fifth best league, soon four, soon, soon fourth best league in, in Europe. Yeah. Incredible for Icardi to do this on, on, on the day that Maxi Lopez came to visit his kids in Paris. Just, just brilliant. Brilliant. <sighs> And with Messi on the bench as well. <laughs> hey, feisty weekend elsewhere in Ligue 1. Uh, Champions Lille, their misery continues. They had a 1-0 defeat away at Lens in the Derby du Nord. Lille with just one win in there for six league matches this season. And there was trouble there, Jules. That's right, James. Before the game, the, the Lens Ultras had a lovely banner that said uh, Lille Mierda. As I don't need to translate it to you, I think. Uh, to welcome them to the uh, Bollard Stadium. And then at halftime, the uh, Lille fans who travelled, not many of them, and who were in like a sort of enclosed stands, if you want, starting breaking their seats and throwing them on the, the stand next to theirs, which was the family stand uh, for the Lens fans. 
So when the Lost Ultras saw that their own fans were being attacked by the Lil Ultras, then they started running around the page and then through the page to go and have a fight with the Lil Ultras and protect their own fans who were being attacked. So it was, it was messy, the, the French Discipline Committee, which has a lot of work in this uh, start of the season. Remember the Nice-Marseille incidents mm. as well. Uh, has a meeting tonight on Monday night and also on Wednesday night to take sanctions and decisions. I suspect that Lance probably would have to play behind closed doors. There might be a fine. There might be a fine for Lille as well. Uh, the game was not suspended or anything. It was all during halftime. And then before the time the players came back onto the pitch, all the fans had gone back into their, their, their stands and there was no more troubles. But it's still, again, it's not, it's not a good look. Jules, what is going on in French football? It seems like every week there's an incident like this. I mean, if this was Italy, we'd be going, ah, yeah, same old Italy, most violent <laughs> league in, in Europe. And it's like France is, what, what has been going on? I don't know. I wonder if, I mean, the, the pandemic and not going to the stadium. As we said, after the Nice Marseille, though, it's no reason why you should be happy to go back instead of wanting to fight everyone. In this case, I think the Lance Ultra, we said they only tried to defend the, 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 the sort of families uh, of Lance fans that were being attacked by Lille. I think it's exacerbated by the fact that a lot of, I think, those, those derbies now and those big games have maybe more meaning than any time before. Nice and Marseille now are proper. You, there was a time when Nice were not very good and Marseille would win every time. So that lost a bit of his of his appeal if you were a Nice Ultra, for example. Now that they're very competitive with each other, similar level, and all fighting for top places. And it's a bit, bit for Lens. Lens are now a better team than Lille. It's not a reason to fight your, the, the opposition's fans, but I think some of those fans go into those derbies saying like, oh, you know, we can get a win. We need that extra motivation for the players, the atmosphere. We need to make it hostile. We need to, need to make it hard for them because we can actually beat them. And I think mm. maybe that's the only explanation I can see otherwise. It's crazy and stupid. But that's the only reason why I can see there's so to be much honest, tension I mean, between... On this podcast, we've had someone provoking a fiery Frenchman that's almost got him yeah. rejected. It's yeah, one it's of the reasons we're doing this this podcast behind closed doors yeah. as well, I suppose. Yeah, that's so yeah, true. I agree. So true. I agree. People, huh? What are you going to do? Indeed. Lil, just one point off the bottom three at the moment. And you mentioned the previous problems for Nice and Marseille. That led to another derby match in uh, Ligue 1 this weekend being played behind closed doors. That was Nice-Monaco in the Derby de la Côte d'Azur. That one finished 2-2. So Monaco still with just one win this season. Crikey. Yeah, Niko Kovac. That was a bit better, but eventually defensively they're still not... Good enough and strong enough, and Nice even missed the penalty right at the yeah. end. I mean, Guiri, who's been so good, the very young, talented Frenchman, missed the target, and and in, instead of a win for Nice, it was only a draw. Paris Saint-Germain's closest rivals are Marseille now in Ligue 1. They're five points behind, but with a game in hand, and they uh, rescheduled that game against the match against Nice. Uh, Marseille with the tuna win over Rennes this weekend. Mm. Uh, they've yet to lose a game. Georges Sampaoli. He lost something, though. His temper, showing a yellow card. Do you know, since taking over Marseille in March, he's had four yellow cards and one red. He's a manager. That's outstanding. It's crazy. And, but, but I guess, it, I think, it, one, he can't help it. Two, his team plays with so much passion and intensity and movement and running that if he was on the touchline not doing anything, you know, being quite placid, 
that would not help. I think for his team to play the way he wants, he has to be so agitated. It doesn't, again, you don't have to take a yellow card because you complain about everything. But that sort of energy that he has really transmits to the, t- to the team, to the, to the pitch, to the players. And when the velodrome is incandescent like they were on Sunday, uh, and especially paying tribute, very emotional tribute to one of their biggest fans, René Malville, who is a, a big public figure down in Marseille. He had like a podcast and TV shows and stuff. Very outspoken Marseille fan who sadly passed away on, on Saturday. It was just, it made, it made it a very special afternoon and, and I think they would be very good and I, I can't wait to see them against PSG and then against Lyon uh, as well because I think they're the, the three teams that for me are really outstanding this season so far even if Lyon are, are 10 points behind because of the poor start of the season but they will get better. I think those games will be fantastic and uh, I think Marseille have something to play for this season for sure. Brilliant. All right, excellent. Well, a lovely round up there, Jules. And next up, Bundesliga, baby. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Nach Leverkusen, erst mal Goretzka, Schupo-Moting in der Mitte, Belakocab, Goretzka, Müller, der fehlte noch, Schupo-Moting, Schupo-Moting, sieben zu null. Sieben zu null. That's seven nil, listener. But you knew that. Crikey. And that was the scoreline when Bayern took on Bochum. Uh, this weekend. Uh, amazing stuff. The heaviest ever defeat in the Bundesliga, I read, Rafa. Yeah, I mean, they've been out of the Bundesliga for a few years, maybe uh, luckily for them, because they might have been on, on the wrong end of more thrashings. Um, the funny thing about this result or the game was, in, in a sense, that this is this is a club and a team that Bayern are supposed to be friends with. Uh, Bochum and Bayern have sort of this fan f- friendship. So... Um, if that special discount hadn't been applied, I think we might have seen double figures. Crazy. I mean, Bayern have scored in double figures uh, not so long ago, of course. And when you add things up, that's now 31 goals they've scored in their last five. And in the Bundesliga, it's 20 in the first five league games for Julian Nagelsmann in charge of the club. That's uh, equaling the record for a new manager uh, with Bayern Munich. Another record for Robert Lewandowski, who, of course, was on the score sheet. He's the first Bundesliga player ever to score in 13 successive home games. All righty. Was there much to pull out of that performance, Rafa? Or was it just more Bayern brilliance? I mean, obviously it got people talking about the imbalance in the Bundesliga again. Bayern will face tougher teams than Bochum, but it still felt a little bit cruel at times to see how just out of their depth Bochum were. I guess the thing with Bayern is, and this is maybe an interesting contrast to to other, shall we say, Galactico teams or other teams that tend or want to dominate the domestic leagues, is they take every game very seriously. You'll never see them, or this generation of players anyway, you'll never see them turn up and just think, well, we can just manage here 1-0, you know, just do what's necessary and then go parting. They're just so relentless in their approach and so greedy as Julian Nagelsmann always puts it 
and that's why you get these these score lines um other teams would have you know probably stopped at four or five and say you know let's go home let's take it easy but uh, but not this buying side and of course the more the win the more people think well this is something's wrong here um but it's it's not really them it's it's of course the lack of teams lack of clubs lack of finances below them that's that's brought us to the situation but I think it's becoming very clear that this Bayern team, despite one or two issues in terms of their squad composition and one or two weaknesses, are being coached really well and have this highly intrinsic motivation. And it's gonna take some it's gonna take some stopping, I think, in in all competitions as we saw against an admittedly fairly toothless Barcelona team in midweek as well. Raf, since moving to Munich, has uh, Nagelsmann's style uh, adapted at all? Has it improved? Have Bayern basically said, here's a club suit, wear it, don't deviate from it? What's been going on? I think the weather's helped him. It's been quite warm, so we've just seen him in a, in a black T-shirt. There hasn't been any, uh, I guess, temptation to put out a three, three-piece suit and a tie, which is when things have often gone wrong in the past. Um, it was fairly tame in Barcelona as well in Champions League I'm hoping that this signals a new era of uh, sartorial restraint but uh, i tell you what I'll be in a position to ask him on yes. Thursday with him in Ooh. the TV studio in Munich so I'm, I will I will see if this is a new direction for him or just a an interlude Right Will you be packing your leather shorts uh, Rafa because it is the start of the Oktoberfest isn't it? It would have been, James. It would have been. Ah. Unfortunately, Oktoberfest has been cancelled for a second year what? running because of COVID. That didn't stop Bayern, though, wearing their special Oktoberfest TM Wiesen kit uh, in a, sort of a strange sort of forest green. I'm not sure. I'm, yes. a, I'm a big fan, but it, it worked uh, as far as the result was concerned. Would it be a way of making Bayern less formidable if the Bundesliga made them Play in lederhosen every every week. Why do you or? think they'd be less formidable? Bayern in leather. For <laughs> well, I don't know. That I, sounds. I, I, I would find it harder to to run and harder. They're to not very flexible. Yeah, and, and yeah. Chafing might be an issue. Also, um, the way it works, you don't wear trainers with those. You have to wear these sort of Bavarian boots, which can be a little bit clunky. Mm. Um, this is something that Bayern brought in in the eighties, when they started actually showing up in lederhosen to away games. Right. Um, <laughs> and people started singing. Well, actually going uh, to the game. Pull down the, yeah, yeah, um, before the games. Wow. And people saying, you know, uh, pull down Bayern's lederhosen to the tune of Yellow Submarine. Zieht den Bayern die lederhosen aus, lederhosen aus, lederhosen aus. Zieht den Bayern, and so on. Take their lederhosen off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crikey. I mean, I the subtext are just it. incredible. Alvaro, I think you wanted to come in with something a little bit more kind of on point. Yeah, very quickly. Uh, Even Barcelona, more on point. Uh, the, the, the defeat against Bayern was taken with acceptance. I don't know if the same thing happened at Munich uh, with the victory against Barcelona. Was it taken like, yeah, this was it? Basically, the, this is what we expected and we did it? I think there were conflicting emotions. I think on the one hand, yes, it was sort of business as usual, matter of fact. We go there, we win, we go home again. Nothing's really happened. But at the same time, I could sense a sense of pride as well that Bayern made it look so easy. Because I think they weren't quite sure. There was a lot of talk about, you know, Barcelona shouldn't be underestimated. They still have a good team. Um, Their demise has been overplayed. 
but then Bayern made it look quite easy, not even playing that well, certainly not in the first half. So yeah, I think they came away thinking, okay, we, we are actually a pretty good side and Barcelona aren't at the moment. Mm. Now in the Bundesliga, Bayern moved to the top of the pile on goal difference over Wolfsburg after Mark Van Bommel's side lost their 100% record at home to Eintracht Frankfurt, a 1-1 draw there. Uh, elsewhere, more problems for Jesse Marsh, whose side were taken apart by Man City, of course, last week. Köln, Köln, with a 1-1 draw. Köln, with a 1-1 draw against Leipzig. An amazing game. Was it? Go on, tell us why, Raf. Well, it was just... There was so much going on. There were, there were goals chalked off for offside, quite rightly so, but it could have easily finished 4-4, 6-6. I mean, there was so much going on. And the uh, the crowd in, in Cologne, who don't always need much reason to get very excited, they were absolutely in in rapture um, by what they had seen. And even though Cologne could have won it, they celebrated as, as if they just wanted a trophy. And for Leipzig, I think they, they kind of felt okay about that draw because it was a very difficult game under Stefan Baumgart. They they become so good, Köln, sort of a German version of Leeds, really high pressing, really high energy team. But of course, the draw doesn't do much for them in the table where they're still in mid table. And I think there is still a sense that what he's trying to do with his team is quite extreme, and perhaps facing with a resistance from the players who were used to a more versatile approach under Julian Nagelsmann and now I think the clock is being turned back to sort of Red Bull football 1.0 and it's not really it's not really working it leaves the team very exposed there's a lot of running but not enough football being played and um, it's, it's a difficult spell for Marsters I don't think he has that much credit because he arrived not in necessarily in position of strength being uh, kind of an internal promotion, you know, from Salzburg, putting cross, but not sort of the big name that uh, perhaps was needed to pick up from Nagelsmann, but of course it's difficult to, to get, uh, as we saw with all the other clubs <laughs> trying to look for managers last summer. Sticky situation for Marsh, you could say. Mm. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest talking point you mentioned earlier, Raphael, was that extraordinary Dortmund 4, Union Berlin 2 game. And Erling Haaland's performance, not just that he got a brace or the fact that he's now on 11 goals in eight games this season for Dortmund, or 16 in all for this campaign, but the way that he scored his second. For anyone who hasn't seen it, he's kind of being escorted across the edge of the box, but away from goal. And without even looking over, he hoofs the ball up in the air with the precise trajectory that takes it across the box, back over the goalkeeper's head and into the far, just inside the far post. Extraordinary. And people question whether he meant it. I mean, he clearly meant it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, of course he meant it. There was no one else to to play the ball to. This wasn't a cross. This wasn't... Um, if it was a miscontrolled ball, then it was a very bad touch um, because it, it travelled 40 yards. Um, no, it was it was just an amazing... Um, Interestingly enough, the main talking point within the the dressing room and from some of the Dortmund players afterwards was the, was the fact that he scored again with his header because he arrived from Salzburg being a little bit weak in the air. 
I guess there was no need to do headers in, in Austria because Salzburg had so much control they could just walk the walk the ball in half of the time. But now he's become, after some, some extra training, even proficient uh, in that respect. And he's now really well on his way to becoming the most complete centre-forward. Um, it's quite... It's quite amazing how far he's come, uh, considering that he only moved to Dortmund in January 20. It doesn't, you know, feel that long ago, and it, it isn't that long ago. But his his development and progress has been just breathtaking since. What doesn't he have then, Rafa? If he's if he's not quite at you know if he hasn't quite completed centre forwardness, what, what, what's what's still to be worked out? Well, I think you're really talking about minute details sometimes. I think with his back towards goal, he could be a little bit uh, more cleaner, I think, in his touch. His passing game could be a little bit crisper. But of course, he is the man who wants to take the last touch rather than uh, one before. He doesn't really drop into midfield all that often. At Dortmund, there's no need to that to do that because he's surrounded by so many uh, attacking midfielders. But, I mean, we're talking really details here, James. Um, maybe it could be slightly better on his right foot which is his weaker one but yeah I mean I'm, I'm I'm struggling to find too many weaknesses in this game and the the most amazing thing is how quick he is I think mm. you need to have seen it preferably in a stadium to fully anticipate how this big hulk of a man is just so quick at the same time which the combination is is fairly unique and makes him so valuable and we all know that in the summer it's going to be all one almighty auction to see who can secure his his services. It's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, and the months of build-up will be even more exciting to that. Um, the scoreline, uh, Dortmund were very much in control of this game, at least it, it looked that way, and then they kind of allowed Union back into it, which is classic Dortmund behaviour. They've now conceded at least twice in all five of their Bundesliga games this season, and the defending's been the perennial problem for them, but when they have Holland in this kind of form, does it matter? Are they, a, are they as they are, a viable uh, title contender? They should be. They should be, but they need to be more consistent and more balanced because you cannot always score four or three goals. You need to somehow find a way, if you're Dortmund, to win in a bit more, with a bit more comfort, with a bit less energy, because. Even in the in the stands, there was this feeling 3-0 might not be enough as soon as Union scored the first goal. And that's not really a good place to be. You need to know that, you know, we score one goal, two goals, it's game over. If anything, we're going to score a couple more, but we're not going to concede. And it hasn't really happened yet. Um, there are some smallish improvements. I think they are better out of possession. They try to work hard and, and win the ball back quicker. But it's still... Still not quite the kind of attitude and the kind of application that you you want from a team that's really going to win big trophies. So I think Marco Rosa is, is wary of of trying to to get that sort of that sloppiness out of the team, coach it out of the team. But it's not that easy, as he's found with with Gladbach, who also were a side who loved to play football but weren't very good uh, out of possession because they had been coached by by Lucien Favre and of course Lucien Favre also was the predecessor of Rosa at, at Dortmund so maybe one or two similar issues that, that Rosa has to grapple with there Alright, more father issues than the uh, 
Star Wars franchise. Uh, by the way, uh, Dortmund now one point behind the leaders in the Bundesliga. Uh, Bayern, as we say, top of the pile. They didn't rank, though, as the biggest winners of this weekend. We'll be finding out who did post an even bigger scoreline next. So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pre-match bet builder bets only max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min 4 plus legs, min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus become aware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Ball hard doorgespeeld, en dat is Baramir, er ook weer vertussen. En dan is het raak. Ja, 9. Zo simpel. En ja, nu is het 10, 10, 10, wel heel dichtbij. 9-0. Who got a bigger scoreline than Bayern this weekend? Jules. Ajax, 9-0 against Cambuur. Woof. That was really good. Eight different players on the score sheet. So that's now in Eredivisie, uh, 22 goals scored four and one against. That's their record. <laughs> Pretty good. Or in the last two games, including the one in Lisbon against Sporting, that's now 14 goals they've scored in 180 minutes. Incredible. This is quite some Ajax team again. It is. It's pretty impressive. Certainly the way they play. I mean, Comber, they will face tougher opposition, of course, but... The movement and the go- and the goals, I mean, some are on set pieces, but very often the movement is just breathtaking, really is. And and they've made some really good signing in the summer, like like Bergweiss. But overall, I think the kids coming through, the ones who were already there, Dusan Tadic, who seemed to get better and better even with age. It was a, an incredible performance. I mean, nine goals, regardless of the opposition, in a top-flight game over 90 minutes, it's, it's pretty incredible. The thing is what uh, what they did against Sporting Lisbon was very impressive as well because uh, Amorim's team normally doesn't concede, concede many and uh, basically they scored every type of goal. Sebastian Aller uh, scored the poker uh, but also the goal of Bergwitz was fantastic. I mean, it was pure Ajax. Uh, just passing the ball until someone found uh, a corridor and he pretty much ran with the ball until he found the net. So, yeah, it's very impressive so far and um, again, I don't know if this team is as good as the 2018-2019 Ajax, but we have to keep an eye on them. But next week, uh, Ajax will be in Champions League action again, taking on Besiktas. And after that, they've got Dortmund. That'd be quite some game. Wow. Oh, also, speaking of teams that did well in the Champions League and then posted a big scoreline at the weekend, how about Young Boys of Bern? They were playing in the Swiss Cup against Illyria. 7-1, they, they, uh, they emerged victors there. Terrific stuff. Next up, another high-scoring weekend in Serie A. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Three teams came into this weekend in Serie A with a perfect record. Roma, Milan and Napoli. Napoli still to play as we record this on Monday. The others, though, the other two came a cropper. And as you mentioned, James, Roma at Verona. Problems with the Rona. In the, what was the game of the weekend? No, this, this 3-2 victory for Hellas. First defeat for Jose Mourinho. Yeah, after an impressive performance in the Conference League where they beat uh, Seska Sofia uh, 5-1. Lorenzo Pellegrini, their captain, has been outstanding 
uh, so far this season. His contract is up at the end of the year. Roma looking to tie him down because he's got a clause in that contract. You can sign him for 30 million, which is a bargain, really. Scored six goals this season from midfield, but delivery, passing, brilliant. Um, so they weren't expected to lose this game against a Verona side that had nil point. Uh, after three games, they had sacked the former Roma coach, Eusebio Di Francesco, who's really fallen on hard times since taking that team to the Champions League semi-finals a few years ago. Di Francesco winless in 19 games, so they brought in Igor Tudor. And it was a feisty game under the rain at the Bentegodi. Uh, Roma took the lead. Again, Pellegrini, wonderful backheeled goal. Colpo alla vettiga, or Del Piero, whoever you want to go with. Uh, but then at the start of the second half, Verona came roaring back. Antonin Barak, who played on the two-door at Udinese, getting the equaliser. Capradi, who came through the ranks at Roma, uh, putting them in front. Roma getting back on level terms. Pellegrini crossed, turned in by the former Man City midfielder Ivan Ilic. And then, as I mentioned, it's the best moment of the, of the weekend. What a goal from Faraoni. Nothing that Rui Patricio could do. Um, to stop that, I mean, for a wing-back to find that kind of skill, technique, um, just incredible. I think that will still be one of the goals of the season when we get to May. Um, and, you know, Mourinho afterwards saying, look, we lost every duel today. We're going to have to spend hours in front of the video screen doing analysis, having said only a few days ago that he shows five minutes to his players and, and that's it. Um, and that's... You know, just as winning six games in a row isn't like winning 60, losing one game isn't like losing 10, James. It's all right. Can't argue with that. Verona, by the way, were one of two Serie A teams to already change their manager after three matches of the season. The other one was Cagliari, who brought in Walter Mazzari, who didn't get a debut win as Tudor did at, at Verona, but he came pretty close in that 2 to draw with Lazio. Yeah, Matsari back um, after being sacked, what, in February 2020, having taken Torino into the Europa League preliminaries where they were eliminated by Wolves. Everything then went wrong. Uh, Matsari ran out of excuses, which is hard for him. Uh, run, making excuses is is something that has he's built his reputation on over the years, um, from blaming the rain when he was at Inter, um, the blaming another defeat on his players having flu and yeah, his team came back from behind in this one with uh, Lazio taking the lead from Churio Mobile. But uh, Lazio had had a terrible week. You know, they'd, they'd lost to, to Milan 2-0 at San Siro. Uh, Maurizio Sarri had got sent off for uh, kind of falling out with Salamakas, who was pulled away from, um, by Ibrahimovic and then was done for blasphemy outside the dressing room at San Siro. Um, he then threatened to sue the referee who put that in his report because he said, I did not blaspheme anybody. And then they went to Galatasaray and lost with a hilarious own goal. One of the worst you'll see uh, from their backup T Tell us about the own so. goal. <laughs> it's like, so it's a bit like Erling Haaland's goal, but unintentional. It is. It is. Mm. With, with Manuel Lazzari, uh, the Lazio fullback, attempting the Haaland finish, um, and Strakosha, the standing goalkeeper, goes to like basically keep it out or just catch it, really. Uh, and instead, he just throws it into his own net, um, which was not great. 
Um, particularly, you know, Galatasaray play in, in red and yellow, a little bit like uh, Roma, who Lazio will mm. be playing uh, next uh, next weekend. But Cagliari came came back in this game. They were 2-1 up. Keita Baldidiao put them in front. He was a you know former youth player and came through the ranks at, uh, at Lazio, did well there before moving on to, to Monaco and Inter. Um, and and luckily for Lazio, they were able to get back into it with uh, Jules Will like this. Roman born and bred, uh, Lazio fan, uh, Daniel Cataldi. Great strike from him. So uh, a point uh, for Sarri. But yeah, it feels like their really good start to the season where they look like they could be um, Napoli in another similar shade of blue has certainly hit the brakes a little. Well, Lazio... Following that and Roma's defeat, two points behind the Gialarossi and a chance for them to move past next weekend when in this duel of former Chelsea managers, Mourinho and Sarri face off in the Rome derby. That's Sunday, five o'clock. We'll, of course, be rounding that up in next Sunday night's Golazzo Live, which will feature Napoli going up against Walter Mazzari's Cagliari. That's exciting. Uh, this Sunday, of course, we had the big game, Juve-Milan, 1-1 it finished. Morata with a stunning opener and then Ante Rebic uh, with the header uh, to uh, keep Juve winless so far this season. James? Yeah, winless um, at this stage of the season for the first time since uh, 1961, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Still down in the relegation zone. It looked like it was going well for them in the first half. I thought they they played very well. Um, They overran uh, Milan's midfield, um, particularly with Bentancur making those runs off Tonali and Kessi into the final third. Dybala was here, there and everywhere. Um, and they perhaps should have been more than one goal to the good um, because they, they kept managing to release either Morata or Rabiot uh, in behind the Milan defence, which had been changed for this game because they didn't have Calabria uh, available um, Pioli didn't go with a like-for-like right-back with Florenzi. He moved his best centre-back, Fikayo Tomori, out to the to the right-hand side. And to be honest, I think that was a, a poor move from him because um, one of the reasons why those Juventus players kept getting behind was how slow Alessio Romagnoli is. Um, Kier is very good with his positioning, uh, a very good old-school defender, but um, having Fik- Fikayo Tomori beside him means he can kind of cover for him when he when he when he's beaten for pace and with Tomori out wide that didn't happen but Milan to their credit came back into the game second half um, and Juventus continued to disappear after the interval we saw that um, against Udinese we saw that against Napoli they keep conceding set pieces um, which again was the was the also the case at the San Paolo when Kulabeli scored uh, from a corner kick this time it was Ante Rebic, who was playing instead of Ibrahimovic and Giroud, who were missing. So I think, again, for Milan to come back and get something in a game where they were missing two big players is something. Um, And Allegri afterwards saying, look, I'm quite worried uh, for the first time. More worried than I was a week ago when when we lost to uh, Napoli. Uh, I felt my substitutions didn't help. Um, And also the young players, like Federico Chiesa, when they come on, they have to do more because Chiesa in the final 10 minutes uh, basically let uh, a couple of Milan chances blow right past him. Kalulu could have got the winner um, were it not for Chesney actually making a save uh, for once. Um, so, so yeah, even though Juventus have a, a nice couple of fixtures, I think what Spezia and Sampdoria are coming up, 
um, yeah, there's still alarm bells ringing in Turin. Sam Jory have given them problems, of course, in, in the past. Uh, sorry, Alvaro? Very quickly, I mean, the goal that Morata scored is uh, the kind of goal that he misses normally. I mean, he missed like three like this at the Emirates like four years ago against Burnley as well at Turf Moor, I think. And uh, yeah, normally he doesn't score those ones. I was very impressed that he kept the composure. So just to break it down for anyone who didn't see. Well, Milan had a corner kick um, and just as they, Juventus managed to clear it, Teo Hernandez tries to head it back into the danger zone and instead heads it straight to Alexandro, the Juventus left back. And Alexandro plays first-time pass to Dybala, who plays a first-time pass to Morata. And all of a sudden, Morata is running into Milan's half and the only player facing him is Mike Manian, um, the, the Milan goalkeeper. And But he's got Teo bearing says, down on him. Yeah, although Teo is very worried about giving away the red card. Um, and uh, But he's got all that time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... Yeah, keeps his composure and, and, and puts puts Juventus in front. But I mean yeah. I think that goal is it underlines what Allegri wants Juventus to do, um, which is to be very vertical. Uh, don't play five hundred passes to score a goal when you can play three. But at the same time, I think Juventus need to control games better. Um, be able to take the sting out of games more and and that, that didn't happen again in the second half. And they just need to defend set pieces, for God's sake. I mean, it's uh, uh, the two goals scored by either side. Both teams will be very disappointed. I know Jules, one of Jules's middle child is going for a trial uh, at a football club later, later today. Um, that's the kind of goal you'd see conceded at kind of Sunday League or something like that from, from both of those teams. So not a high standard, in my opinion. Mm. Inter... They put six goals past Bologna, which was enough to take them top. They're level on points with Milan. Again, a club that we were expecting to collapse this season. So far, have an even better record than last season's side did. 15 goals scored in four. We'll see how they get on Tuesday when they take on the apparently reborn Fiorentina in the uh, first of the midweek games in City. Yeah, loads of midweek action on the way, aside from Fiorentina Inter. You've got Sampdoria Napoli. Roma taking on Udinese, Spezia, Juve, as you mentioned, in France, Metz against Paris Saint-Germain, Angers against Marseille, and in La Liga, Cadiz against Barcelona, Sevilla, Valencia, and Real Madrid, Mallorca. Let's talk La Liga then, next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is handy for when Spurs stop pretending to be this ruthless winning machine and revert back to type. Ready for the fast bit? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. Primer palo para Benzema! Another round of La Liga and more late goals for Real Madrid. Crikey. Two goals in the last three minutes to snatch victory from Valencia's clenched fingers. Yes, 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 yes. It was uh, again Real Madrid surviving, again Real Madrid competing. And uh, if I can take or draw any conclusion from what I have seen from Real Madrid so far this season, is that we're going to get entertained. Uh, which is something that uh, we all have to welcome, I think, uh, because they let the other team dominate them, uh, they let the other team have chances, but then um, they also have this competitive edge that we saw, for example, against Inter Milan in the Champions League. Inter was better in the first half, but then Real Madrid manages to stay in the game and after having suffered, because sometimes they suffer, they managed to get the results. This time against Valencia, it wasn't easy. It was a very accidental game, in a way, because Valencia lost Carlos Soler to injury, uh, their best player this season so far. Gaia, uh, their best left-back and one of the best left-backs in La Liga, is out with an injury too. Uh, and Valencia put a hell of a fight uh, to Real Madrid. They scored the first goal. Uh, Gonzalo Guedes is playing very impressively as well, the Portuguese player who seemed to be, you know, mm, perhaps... His career at Valencia seemed to be a little bit gone after a couple of bad seasons. And uh, full praise to Valencia for having put a fight like this against uh, Real Madrid uh, with a team of uh, rejects, youngsters, and some other players that uh, they were in, in the sidelines. They managed to, to fight a lot. And uh, Real Madrid won because they've got uh, two players right now who are tremendously hungry to score goals. <laughs> One of them being Karim Benzema, who has never been that kind of player. Okay, uh, Don't you remember that uh, Jose Mourinho was saying that uh, if he had to hunt with the cat uh, in, in mm. ref referring to Benzema, he will do it. Well, Karim Benzema is a lion now. I mean, he's scoring a lot of goals and he looks set to be La Liga's top scorer. And then Vinicius, a player who last season, I said to him this many times, uh, he was uh, having a lot of trouble in front of the goalkeeper. He's scoring goals as well. Yesterday he was a bit lucky uh, because his shot uh, came deflected from the defender. But it was a good win for Real Madrid and they are topping the table. I believe that right now they are the best team in Spain and the table actually speaks the truth. Atletico mm. de Madrid are struggling to get the results and Real Madrid, they are struggling a little bit less, but up front they are scoring many goals. OK, Barcelona will be hoping that the table isn't telling the truth. They're down in 10th place, six points off the top, although they do have two games in hand. As we record this, they're going to be playing Granada on Monday uh, evening. The other game, of course, that clash with Sevilla that has to be rescheduled after the late return of South American internationals. Atletico Madrid, goalless for the second game in a row following their uh, nil-nil with Porto in the Champions League. This one against your side, Alvaro Athletic. Yes. Yeah, it was never going to be an easy game for Atletico de Madrid because Athletic Club Bilbao uh, is a very solid team. Probably they are the 
second or third best defense in La Liga in 2021. Uh, the numbers are there. I mean, our centre-backs are very impressive. And our system is very impressive as well. Uh, probably if you put Athletic Club Bilbao's uh, defensive, uh, any of the centre-backs, really, because the four of them in the squad are very good. If you put any of them in Betis or Real Sociedad, I think that those teams will, will be automatically candidates to go beyond the Europa League quarterfinals. I mean, the defence of Athletic Club Bilbao is very good, and the defence of Atletico de Madrid will know that it's good enough. Perhaps not the best in Europe anymore. Uh, I think that that goes maybe to Chelsea. Uh, but uh, the game was disappointing for Atletico because if anybody deserved to win was Athletic Club Bilbao. Iñaki Williams and Villalibre had two very good chances to, to bring the three points to Bilbao. And Atletico didn't produce a lot up front and it's uh, an ongoing issue. I mean, Antoine Griezmann, mm. he hasn't scored yet for Atletico de Madrid. Uh, he, he will do it, of course. Correa, he started the season fantastically, but uh, the abundance of strikers in the squad has limited his minutes. Uh, Luis Suarez is not very well at the minute, uh, fitness-wise, and uh, so on. I think that and Joao Felix, of, of course, he is not covering himself in glory. He was sent off uh, the other day against Athletic Club Bilbao, even though I think that maybe the send-off was a little bit too rigorous, strict by the referee, but uh, because the, Joao Felix was being... Uh, pushed from behind and held by one of the Athletic Bilbao midfielders. Uh, he tried to uh, get that body out of him. <laughs> um, he got a yellow card for, for that. And then uh, he pointed at the referee uh, and he pointed at his head, uh, like pretending to say, are you crazy? Uh, because he got a yellow card for that and he got the second yellow. So he was booked and uh, yet he couldn't finish the game. So it was a disappointing day for uh, Joao Felix as well. Mm. Alvaro, if you were to perform that exercise you're talking about with athletics defenders, taking them to another club, what would happen? But do it with the, the, the incredible selection of forwards that you just listed there for Diego Simeone. I mean, you could put them in a lot of clubs and make them very, very good. Is it a big talking point in Spain how underwhelming Atletico are, are going forward with the players at Simeone's disposal? A little bit, yes. I think that, uh, number one, you are very right, because La Liga this weekend hasn't had many goals, so if any of the Atletico strikers would have played for another team, obviously they would have, um, you know, probably succeeded. Uh, and it is a talking point, because uh, Simeone, normally, normally Atletico de Madrid has been fine, no winning the league. Barcelona and Real Madrid cannot afford not winning it. I think that their fans and uh, the media covering those clubs uh, would deem the season as a failure. And Atletico de Madrid from 2011 onwards, when Simeone arrived, took the league as a gift. If they won it, it was a gift for the team. But nobody demands Simeone to win it. That was the competitive advantage that Simeone had over Kuman, Zidane or any manager who was there. But this season, there is an understanding, and everyone says that, even Radamel Falcao, uh, during his presentation for Rayo, everyone says that Atletico has the best squad in La Liga. I don't know about that. I think that Real Madrid's squad is very good as well. But the truth is that Atletico has a lot of stars up front. Some of them, maybe they are a little bit old, like Luis Suarez. Some others, like Antoine Griezmann, maybe they are not totally welcomed by Atletico de Madrid fan base. But the talent is there. And uh, Simeone has to put all those pieces together. And I think that the pressure is on him a little bit, yes. Mm. Well, Falcao, the man who used to score their goals in vast numbers, meanwhile returning, and what a heartwarming story this is. So he's pitched up at the smallest team in the division and, as you say, scoring almost immediately on his debut. Yeah, 10 minutes after uh, he came in and uh, the story of Falcao is very nice as well because he was training with Colombia two, three weeks ago and uh, he didn't have a team at that time at the end of August and in the deadline day five minutes before the, the deadline and the alarm rang 
he had to leave the training ground uh, with Colombia because he got an offer from Rayo Vallecano. He had to run and sign those papers, run uh, and sign that contract. He did it. He arrived at Rayo Vallecano. His uh, presentation at the club was a little bit picturesque, I would say, because he got from the stands a little bit of mixed information. Number one, the fans, I think, they are going to adore him. But number two, uh, there were many boos and whistles uh, towards the owner of Rayo Vallecano because the fan base is not happy with the way he's running the club. And yeah, he is a player that uh, he comes with a certain ambition. He was asked uh, in a press conference whether he would be happy scoring 15 goals and he said that no, he would like to uh, score even more if he could for Rayo. So let's see how it goes. This is probably the most ambitious player Rayo has ever signed. I would say that. And uh, yeah, I think that... Uh, Radamel Falcao left a legacy at Atlético de Madrid, a good memory in Spain in general, and uh, it's very good to have him back. Everyone is very happy mm. about it. 35 years of age now, getting that goal on his debut in a 3-0 win for Rayo over Getafe. What, if you would try and define Rayo Vallecano as a, as a club, could, could you explain a bit more about them? Yeah, uh, it is a very expansive club. Uh, they play attacking football. The manager, Andoni Raola, uh, is a former Athletic Club Bilbao player and he likes uh, passing game. And uh, some of their games, they have killed them very quickly and very easily. For example, they scored three goals against Granada in the first half and they beat them 4-0, as far as I can remember. Uh, this weekend, they also scored three goals. They are free-flowing, that's for sure. They are not negative at all. And uh, they could have the, you know, they have the skills to play negatively, in fact, because they are just promoted. But they don't. They are playing a very expansive football and it's very good to see them playing like this. Uh, seriously, say uh, joy to see Rayo Vallecano. And uh, I'm following very closely and don't eat all as well because I do believe that at some point and that day may come not too not too late uh, he will coach Athletic Club Bilbao Interesting when when are they going to be playing Atletico Madrid who are their neighbours that'll be a derby no because yes it is it is uh, Rayo Atletico well I'm, I'm not too sure when they will be playing but uh, but yeah I'm sure that Radamel Falcao will get a, a tremendous reception and before mm. before anything and before we stop talking about Atletico de Madrid James uh, just very quickly they are playing Getafe uh, in this midweek and there is a statistical anomaly in this game that uh, I really have to flag I mean Atletico and Getafe uh, they have played a lot of games 20 since the 2011 when Simeone arrived at Atletico de Madrid ever since then in 20 games Atletico has won 16 they have been four draws. Getafe hasn't scored any goal for a total of 34 nil for Atlético de Madrid. Wow. What do you think of that? I'm very impressed. Very impressed. All right, well, we'll see if the meagre striking options that Simeone has, Suarez, Griezmann, Correa, Felix, can add to that tally this midweek. All righty. That, that pretty much brings us to the, to the end of our, our roundup of the European fixtures of of the last few days what game are you most looking forward to over the next over the next day or two Raphael? next day or two um mm. we don't have any games so, do you not um, germany does that you can watch one no. from Ligue 1 then or city yeah yeah um yes i can okay it's inter fiorentina <laughs> isn't it james <laughs> tuesday night inter fiorentina yes inter, that's the say. one that's the one yeah okay. yeah why should Rafa watch the action from the Artemio Frankie on Tuesday, James? Well, as you mentioned before, James, it feels like Fiorentina are back. You know, they've beaten Atalanta in Bergamo, won three in a row. It's their best start since 2017 when they were contending to be winter champions. 
They've got uh, probably the brightest up-and-coming manager in Italian football now that Roberto Di Zerbi has gone to Shakhtar. And Rafa should be particularly interested in him. Why? Because Vincenzo Italiano is born and raised in Karlsruhe in Germany. Mm. Piqued my interest. <laughs> very nice, very nice. That's Tuesday evening. Uh, they clash with Inter Alvaro of the Liga games. Yeah, I have to defend my business. I have to defend my shop. Sevilla-Valencia. It's a brilliant nice. game. And they are playing the, in the midweek as well. And I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing this clash. Okay, what, when's that on? Uh, that game is on Wednesday. And uh, Sevilla drew with Real Sociedad in their last game. So they need a win after having drawn as well in the Champions League. And Valencia, as I said, they became a stronger team. So, yeah, that game is uh, really the, the one that I'm going to... I'm going to watch with a lot of interest. Brilliant. All right. I wonder which game Jules would like to watch. We don't know because he's gone. He's left already, listener. That's what he thinks of you. I know. Anyway, all right. Well, that wraps it up for the rest of us on this Totally Football Show European edition. Many thanks, listener. At least you stuck with us. And uh, we'll be back next Tuesday for another edition in which, of course, we'll be not just rounding up the weekend, but also looking forward to match day two of the Champions League. For now, many thanks to Charlie, to Alvaro, James, Julian and Rafa and you listener and from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.